0: This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney.
1: We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see
0: t- All Mr. DeMille, I'm ready
1: for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get
0: away from her, you bitch! I'm going to go, you want me to go f***ing trash your lights? Take two. Film vs. Film. Hello, I'm comedian and filmmaker Craig Anderson, and welcome to Film vs. Film. This is the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring together, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up and which film will be left on the cutting room floor? On today's show, it's Oliver Stone's Wall Street versus Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. Both films deal with Wall Street and capitalism and both have become iconic. Joining me today, as always, are my childhood best friends, The Wolf of Marrickville, Herschel Isaacs. Hi Craig, i Bruce. I'm looking forward to the taping today. <laughs> and identical twin brother of Herschel, it's the Associate Professor in Film Studies at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. Hey guys, lovely to be here. Now as always, we'd like to remind you that we grew up in Western Sydney and we'd like to shout out to one of the places that made us love film. This week, guys, I think we should say rest in peace to Blockbuster St. Mary's. What do you remember of Blockbuster St. Mary's? I remember Blockbuster became the most
1: important franchise video shop Mm. for us because I think we were from the generation where um, VHS was still pretty independent and there were lots Mm -hmm. of little stores that you'd go to. And I have really fond memories of those sorts of stores. And I grew up in South Africa and they'd be like a little grocery store. They just had movies on the side. So that was
0: uh, our early experience. Shell um, near the Blue Cattle Dog in St. Clair? Um, I remember the shell. you you go put in petrol? You buy put a in petrol grade, and then you go and they had maybe a hundred VHS tapes that you could pick from.
1: I love how um, these sorts of uh, consumption and just basic experience patterns we had in life have changed as technologies have changed. <laughs> so like who the hell would go to a petrol station <laughs> and get a video? I mean who does that, right? I'll watch
0: a movie. You want to go to the petrol <laughs> station I'll be I back. remember
1: I remember being a kid, Bruce and I in South Africa, and our parents would our parents used to smoke back in South Africa. They'd go buy cigarettes and come back with a couple of packets of cigarettes (laughs) and a a movie. That's how (laughs) that works. And a Chuck Norris. (laughs) Chuck Norris. Well, Chuck Norris. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he doesn't step on toes; he steps on necks. Charlie Bronson. I've Uh, I've always had a fantasy to teach something like a Chuck Norris movie, (laughs) for no other reason than I would love to see how people respond to it. You shouldn't teach a Chuck Norris movie. Vigilantism. Uh, Chuck Norris, obviously, extremely conservative policies. And that's how we sort of grew up. But Blockbuster St. Mary's, um, that was the cleanest... Uh, and <laughs> well, that was part of the it blockbuster appeal. The, like, it,
0: it came in and it rolled, steamrolled over all of those mom and pop yeah, stores, know. you know. that block, I remember that opening up and it was a beaming light. I don't know if you remember driving down Queen Street, St. Mary's, and it would glow. No, Like the blue and, and white. And that's part of the famous it was also that little yeah, side iconic. Street. So you go down Queen Street that's right. and
1: that little side street and there was this huge building. Yeah. I watched The Great doco on Netflix the other day mm. and the Netflix people, the people who created it out of the small office, yeah. I think in like. Uh, in, in California, they modeled everything about early Netflix on Blockbuster. Because openly p- said Netflix used idea. to
0: be, didn't it used to be sending it to you in the yeah, mail? So, right? so they yeah. talk
1: about the mail system mm-hmm. that they thought was such an innovation because before you had to go to the video shop. They, they based everything on, so Blockbuster would have posters in the front hall. What did the posters look like? Mm-hmm. How did the posters relate to that movie in the front, and how did they release things? So Blockbuster kind of defined. Mass VHS consumption.
0: Remember that the, the posters were framed by like a gold trim at the yeah. blockbuster, yeah, yeah, which yeah. made it feel special. Like yeah, you yeah, went yeah. to an old-school cinema. Yeah.
1: cinema, Hollywood prestige. And, and yeah. uh, the
0: worst part about blockbuster, though, I don't for me was you didn't get the covers. Yep. So for kids, that oh, don't that's know, right, you got the blank covers. That's right. The that's covers right. were in the front on the shelf. Then you, if you wanted the tape, the tape would be behind in a generic blockbuster. Yep. Yep. You know, which is also really good for their. You know what is it? Brand awareness because yep. it's the blue yep. ticket of blockbuster that you'd get and take home, but you wouldn't be able to read it, and you wouldn't be excited when you look at the stack on you next w- to the player. Were
1: you like and Like were you like us, where you go to the, you know, like a video shop and you get five movies, say yeah. five for five bucks. You <laughs> go home and you <laughs> literally spend time. Looking at the movie, yeah. Did you? I, I yeah. used to bloody love. I used Cat. to line
0: up the order of watching, <laughs> and then plan the week out because when we did a seven for seven like yeah. at Collidon, you know that was yeah yeah Colin, seven uh, for seven. Yeah, there was seven for seven. I remember Blockbuster was n- the dearest. Yeah, it was oh, seven, yeah so my, my parents way. were hesitant. It was only a place you go if you wanted a specific thing, yeah. or they'd have that guarantee. You want Total Recall? We guarantee you're going to have that. You know, yeah. there th- was like they made that. They sold movie it like guarantee. that. They said we have yeah. enough
1: copies of. Silence of the Lambs. That you're guaranteed to get it if you mm. come between these times on a Saturday or Friday night. That that had the guarantee. The mm-hmm. thing I remember most about Blockbuster was we would only go. We only really went to Blockbuster if we couldn't get something at <laughs> Grog and Flicks, Which for our new listeners out there, Grocon Flix is a was a video and alcohol store. Um, slash where That we all frequented a great deal yeah. because it had very cheap movies and it was like a strange warehouse structure. But we would only go to Blockbuster if we couldn't get something there because Blockbuster, yeah. Blockbuster was more expensive. And it was a
0: suburb further along. Yeah. But also it was like kids at school. Like if you guys had seen something and then you said it's only at Blockbuster. Um, and I'm not talking about new releases. I'm just talking about a dodgy, mm. you know, mid-80s film that we've yeah. all gone Oh, What mega force that sounds awesome. There's rockets in a motorcycle, and then it's like, okay, where's it? It's not at yeah. Civic yep. Video, it's not at Video Easy. I You've got to go to Blockbuster. There was a
1: whole sub genre of action, the Michael Dudikoff movies. Do you <laughs> uh-huh. remember Michael Dudikoff? American Ninja One, yeah, yeah, yeah. He turned up on stand. I, I American watched, Ninjas on stand I for think. people listening. The single greatest documentary <laughs> I've ever seen about the making of film. Mm. Is the Canon film no, document? Yeah, Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's great.
1: I just think it's a glorious. W- anyway, like they had a Canon Manheim Golem. Uh, Golem, Golem. Go- 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 he mm. he believed Michael Dudokoff was going to be the biggest star in the world. <laughs> Next, they, they were going to create Michael Dudokoff for Hollywood. And, well, when you make films as bad as American Ninja 1, 2, and 3.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, there you go. That is Blockbuster Video St. Mary's. We uh, It was one of the last video stores to close down. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, the smaller ones closed first, and Blockbusters were some of the last to stay. But I think it was maybe 2007 or 8, last time I remember seeing that. Didn't the last... Blockbuster closed like two years ago? I think there's still one open in America. Is that any... right? Yeah, in Portland I think. And, and it's known as the last Blockbuster. They've got a website and everything where you can mm-hmm. buy merchandise. Check it out, that's a free ad to uh, Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's move on. Uh, today's episode will be full of spoilers so if you haven't watched these films you might want to cover your ears for the next 70 minutes. Let's talk about 1987's Wall Street. Hot off the success of his Vietnam War epic platoon, Oscar-winning director Oliver Stone dove headfirst into writing and directing Wall Street, the story of a young, eager stockbroker played by Charlie Sheen, who is seduced to the dark side by big bad corporate raider Gordon Gekko, an Oscar-winning performance by Michael Douglas. Thematically, Wall Street has proven to be the film to represent the excess of the 1980s American business ethic and popularized the phrase, greed... Is good. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit.
1: Herschel, what's your take on it? Okay, so I think, for me, it still stands the test of time. I watched it recently, of course, in prep for this podcast. What I find still quite attractive, still quite um, engaging. What resonates for me is that Stone didn't try to present some kind of subtle or complex or nuanced view of class structure. He was quite clear in what he was saying. He was saying that these people are bad, these institutions are bad, and they've basically screwed over the rest of the world. It's also a cautionary tale. So Stone is in the present moment, Ways, you know, quite descriptively describing what is almost unfathomable, really, for 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 by by all moral standards, but he's also saying it's our job to ensure that we put an end to this, or that we understand it and we remedy it for future de- generations. And I do find that still, it still resonates with me. It's both a present um, descriptive tale, but it's also a cautionary tale. For me, it's summarized in in Martin Sheen's great line when Charlie Sheen, he's talking to him about the amount of money that he's making in this new job and he's saying, well, that doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you a suit. It doesn't get you all these things. And Martin Sheen says something which I think encapsulates the film from the Oliver Stone perspective. He says, Jesus, the world's gone crazy. Everything's gone crazy. And I think that's what Stone is saying. Stone is saying, how can we have let the world become this? How is it that these people like the Gordon geckos of the world, the Wall Street financiers, how is it that they can be on open display, that they're not hidden? They're completely at the forefront. They're they're the the financial markets rock stars, and yet we appear not to criticize them at all. The other thing I want to say is that I think – Oliver Stone is really, I mean, an institutional analysis. He, I think, is very critical of, for example, the media. I actually pay kudos to Stone for that. I think that's a little bit ahead of its time. When we see that, the um, the Wall Street Journal, for example, is to some extent in bed with the geckos of the world, where they get the tips first. They'll report on it. That you have this almost this, incent, this incestuous kind of relationship between the media. And and you know the who who control the voice of the or the, the, the thoughts of the public. I think that's quite ahead of its time for 1987. The other thing I'd say is that Oliver Stone is again it's it's a complete di- dichotomy. It's black and it's white. It's masculine or it's not masculine. You either win or you lose. It's a completely zero sum game. So for me, that makes Wall Street still a very captivating uh, description of the excess of of ni- of the 1980s. But it also makes it very interesting by way of comparison and contrast with The Wolf of Wall Street, which, of course, is talking about the same place, the same destination, and yet you couldn't really have two um, versions that are that are more diametrically opposed to it. So I did find Wall Street very interesting as a comment on on the, the socialist or, you know, the socialist critique of the excesses of the 80s.
0: Herschel, I just want to say I am on your – I totally – I don't know agree with you <laughs> on the idea that it's like a morality play. Mm. It almost it's very simplistically uh, saying, hey look, here's a sweet little mouse, <laughs> country mouse with his country mouse dad who works in this union, uh, you know, what is he, the union rep for... Yeah, he's uh, uh, the uh, head of the, the union representation. Yeah. Who works in factories and the uses blue his yeah. And then his kid's gone off to do something better because he's the next generation. Mm. And then he meets the big baddies and the big baddie Michael Douglas is and, and it's very clear cut what this is trying to say, and then it and it does it in an excellent way. I think it's excellent writing because the kid has to screw his dad's company, which is like mm. a horrible. I mean, it's excellent thing, writing. You
1: know? It's also, you know, it's a. I think it's a, a particular time in, in in Hollywood films where they were trying to produce serious films, social commentaries, and I do think that period of the eighties is about social commentary. Uh, mm. I think maybe it starts with Vietnam, and then it moves outward into all sorts of critiques of society. Wall Street, I think, is really interesting because it's, uh, you know, I think Herschel, you said uh, it's a sort of it's a, it's quite a simple story, mm. and I think we could take it further and say, but it's quite simplistic as well. Yeah, you know, when I watch it and and watching it in preparation for this, I was taken aback by I, and I don't necessarily mean this to, to be unfair to Oliver Stone. I think it's an incredibly naive film. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm just uh, amazed at. at the clarity he has in his head between what constitutes a successful, productive life in, 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 in modern society and what constitutes excess. When are you being abusive? When are you not paying paying um, respect to ethics and morality? Right. It's such a clear line. Would
0: you say that this is um, a modern thing that in the, the – whatever, the 30 years since then, we've mm. developed a taste for things that have got more um, – uh, rough edges or, or less Definitely ambiguities I think ambiguity uh, well
1: I think the 80s is a really interesting time because so so I, I we're probably going to mention this throughout this this podcast but Reagan takes office in 81 right yeah and Thatcher in the UK takes mm. office around 1980 and most people now agree this is a social and economic revolution we, we push out anything like um, a dominant labor class we start to move into um, big business, huge corporate capitalism. And pretty much, like this is the perception, I would say, of almost all historians um, who who examine this kind of thing. There's a clear sense that um, society is now going to be guided by wealth in in, in significant ways. So the fact that Martin Sheen works for a union even that's kind of outmoded now. You know, I mean, w- can you think of any other movie where I, one of the main characters works for a union? I mean, <laughs> who I makes say, movies like that anymore? On you the see, I don't front? think... I don't think... <laughs> it's like, that's so interesting that On the Waterfront, that's yeah. a really good example, where you've got this whole tension around um, w- w- what is the function of the union and the union member, right? Mm-hmm. You go to Wall Street 87, it's still... Um, Oliver Stone is still going to say that the moral... Kind of rectitude lies with the union member, the labour person, mm. not the corporate mm. abstract capitalist, you know. And, and that's interesting. But I mean, that's the that's the trope that he's, that he's running, you know. Yeah. That's that's what resonates with Oliver Stone. If you yeah, look at his, other his whole career, yeah. Platoon mm-hmm. is really a film. Uh, well, it's a, it's a small story, but it's a film against the. The U.S. government mm. and, and, and and the machine and, of the government e- exactly to run the world. So all of a sudden, he's interested in institutional critique. I think I, I'd also say that for me, it's quite a literate script as well. So when um, Gordon Gecko is calling Charlie Sheen sport, and he takes him under his wing, so I like that the reference to Great Gatsby, mm. this this mm. larger than life figure. Mm. But what's interesting with Gatsby is that. We're we're always in you know when you read the Fitzgerald novel you're always trying to wear what is Gatsby mm-hmm. who's Gatsby where's Gatsby and you know Baz Luhrmann does that in his film Gordon Gecko that's that's the irony I think that all of a sudden is putting forward he is using words like sport but they're completely hollow words mm. because there's no Gatsby in Gecko Gecko there's there's no room to to reconsider for introspection gecko could never even conceive of anything that he does as immoral Mm. it's he's a master of the universe it's a doggy dog i mean i agree with all of that the gecko really became this voice for a generation that had lost any sense of values and purpose you know that that it was just gross and it wanted to get wealthy right and this whole greed is good that's the thing that's going to save america but i wondered all of us watching this movie at a particular time in our lives did it did it speak to us seeing the romance? Okay, of I can this tell world. you the
0: first, my right. first watch was like <laughs> 92, 93. Yeah. And I remember being like, whoa, best yeah. film ever. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is so true. Yeah. Because um, I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about economics. Yeah. I mean, all three of us were in the same economics class. <laughs> I did not do well, but I also didn't. Even, did I dropped it. I don't even understand how. Um, well, you guys have a better understanding of politics and economics. Uh, I, do, I, don't, I don't think I've evolved that well <laughs> to understand what the Craig hell's going is on. Unevolved. I do wish that in year 12 we learned how the government works. Yeah. I think not in year 3 because that's a ridiculous the time. If to, people yeah. taught
1: economics through a political lens, yeah. we would all have gone through high school in a really different ways thinking about this topic because movies like Wall Street were the places we found our way mm. into well,
0: I remember in economics, the clear goal, economics means do good money. It get good money. It didn't mm. mean be responsible. It didn't mean mm. be ethical. It didn't mean yep. um, share the wealth. It just meant yep. you get the best money, you're the winner. You're yep. right.
1: The only time we got into that kind of discourse was I did, um, I did extension economics, and it was the history of economic ideas. Mm. So you started with Marxism, yeah. and you moved through Milton Friedman and into, into fiscal policy, monetary policy, and that's when you started to think, hang on, it's not just money moved around like, like on a chessboard. This is affecting people's lives, yep. and that's where the conflict comes from. So people disagree with what you're doing, and then suddenly I started to realize, well, the conversations on the news at night, and why there's conflict around that. That suddenly became mm. interesting to me. So I, I kind of became quite interested in that when I got to you and know it's more fantastic through uni. That on the back of something like that, which occurred in high school, that somebody like Oliver Stone was able to translate that. Into a huge Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, people – this movie made a lot of money, yes. right? But what, $100 million back in 87 meant a lot, right? Yeah. It wins the Oscar and it becomes a kind of – I don't know, a, a kind of social philosophy that that people still attach to but the it's, Reagan 80s. Like exactly,
0: right? Because it's like trickle-down economics. Yep. Yeah. Like yep. he's – He's your overlords, the kings of showing yeah. you know these. If these guys get rich, you'll get rich one day. Trust yeah. us. And this is the film that says that the best, like, yeah. or it it criticizes it the best yeah. part.
1: Isn't that the like the perennial story though? Like, I mean, global financial crisis, The Big Short, Michael Lewis, all that commentary. It's still saying, look at these insane people and what they've gotten away with. That's yeah, but I think the
0: takeaway that most people, whenever you think of uh, this film, mm. the phrase "greed is good" is what comes forward. Mm and it's and i've heard people not understand that that's a satirical mm. phrase. Mm. Just say it. Well, genuinely. it's satirical Greedous. from Stone's exactly. point of view. It's exactly. a critique from Stone's point the of view. But
1: it is, a, uh, you know, it it is an economic philosophy. Yeah. That if we strip back all measures within the market system, that really competition says the greedier you are, the better this system's going to work. And and that's one of the basis of trickle down economics. Let's get a hell of a lot of people super rich up there, and it will trickle mm. down, and the middle class will grow. Mm. The pie gets bigger for everybody. And to some extent, that is what capitalism mm. has brought. The, the world, across almost all standards, most people are richer than they've ever been. Now, does it mean that the distribution or the proportion of the distribution as time has gone on mm. has been fair? Of course not. No, like I saw Bezos that, with it, all that money. An article
0: came out last week where it said 40 years down the track, and it is definitely has not, like, the provenly, no, and you know, it's it a hasn't a come up. amazed, down.
1: just by pure coincidence, I'm reading that Thomas Piketty book, um, well, uh, Capital in the 21st Century, and the thesis is that there is nothing that stops income inequality getting worse unless we enact certain <laughs> kinds of artificial <laughs> mechanisms. No, but so that, so we, ha- so we t- have to then pay kudos, I think, to Oliver Stone yeah. for coming yeah. out there and saying, well, I'm just going to put it all out on the table, as I did with Platoon. But it's such as a I did pity with JFK. his vision is so naive. <laughs> and so okay, I look at it, it as kind Well, it, it, I think it's, it's one it's of the only films that's criticizing it back It's then. a simplistic binary view of the way... Kind of social classes work. So you got a guy who works for a union, and he's mm-hmm. total. He's so working class that when you're introduced to him, he's wearing overalls and he's got grease all over <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's a real that's a real life <laughs> well, though. That's it, real representation. Well,
1: it's it's selective realism. He's a grease monkey. He's selective <laughs> on a plane. realism, right? So then you and then you've got Charlie Sheen, who is a person who's tried to escape from that background, mm-hmm. and he is our. We are in his viewpoint and we're trying to follow his life. So are we supposed to take him seriously? Is are we supposed to identify with this fantastic fantasy of a of a young man who's been able to escape his working class background? Clearly not, because by the end of the movie, we realize that the truth lies in family, working class structures, <laughs> and a return to uh, labor. I, I agree <laughs> that he's not going to have the subtlety and <laughs> the nuance that we're going to have later on. But... You know, it still represents things like the global financial crisis. So that a movie in 1987 can resonate and actually pretty, you know, accurately depict what happened in 2009, 2010. I still think there's value in that. I think that's what gives it
0: its power and, and its I, strength. I've oh yeah, I, no, no, I think that's true. I've got no problem with it though. If it's a morality tale, mm. that's what it is. If mm-hmm. it's simple, it's simple. You watch a horror film. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of the same things about morality tale. Don't have sex, don't go and drink... Because you're mm. going to die for that because, uh, you know, mm. someone's going to kill you because you're not supposed to transgress, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it's very obvious and simple, but I enjoy it. Like I And yeah. I enjoy Wall Street a lot. I, You know, i, yeah. I agree. going on that I process. Agree.
1: Yeah, but there's a self-awareness in the horror genre that Oliver Stone, <laughs> on his best day, doesn't have. I do think one thing that I, I always have in the back of my head with Oliver Stone is that guy did go on to make Natural Born Killers, mm. which... Uh, is a commentary on such a different register and, and that I always think is pretty But he also made JFK, <laughs> which is a hell of a commentary. Well, JFK is the next one, isn't it? But that's what's exclusive to me mm. is yeah. I... Well, that's interesting because I draw a oh, very no. sharp talk, distinction. Talk
0: radio host, talk show. Talk,
1: talk radio. Talk back. I mean, I draw a sharp <laughs> distinction between JFK and this film because in this film, you're not really going to dispute any factual basis to this. It's, it's mm. a story worth telling. Yeah. People are getting hurt by these overlords who really... Govern the you know they really govern the world more than than mm. government governs mm-hmm. the world they govern the world the JFK situation Oliver Stone was going to try to rewrite history and that's where I draw the mm. distinction I don't have a lot of time for that yep. thesis but I do have quite a bit of time for this thesis because I think it remains relevant when you're looking at the rise of conservatism through like Western Europe at the moment and you look at income distribution patterns then what was happening in 1987 continues to happen. Um, and, and, and to amplify, that, and, and, and amplify. that's what's and, really scary. Global yeah. financial crisis. I mean, the other thing I think we should get on the record is that, and we talked about this earlier. We grew up in the western suburbs mm-hmm. in a relatively low socioeconomic. Well, for people world.
0: outside of Sydney, in, yeah, uh, in this, yeah, so if you're the you are outside Sydney.
1: I don't know. The, you know, our the parents were not, area, We were the not from the educated classes. We were certainly not from the corporate. Uh, high flying classes. <laughs> so, in fact, our dad worked in a, um, a car parts manufacturing mm-hmm. thing, and and mm-hmm. people did walk around in overalls with grease on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that world um, is familiar to us, um, but the power imbalance think, was so familiar. And to yeah. me, that that power imbalance really stuck with me. You mean like, you mean gecko go to the? But to look at yeah, gecko to everybody else going with dad to work, and the power imbalance that was at work. Yeah. The people on the factory floor. You know, for example, it was a higher—you you, know—you you were on a higher status if you were a parts manager. So mm. you, you didn't actually mm. work under the car; you sold parts that were handed mm. to the person who's working under the yep. car. And as a result, you're above and, that and, person. And, and, the, uh, and the manager in the office of the parts and manager. And I remember that vividly you know. as well, Herschel. Mm. But the other aspect of it was that the power hierarchy was absolutely tied to a racial hierarchy. Right, Because mm-hmm. race was a part of this power structure um, That's the other thing I would say Like, I totally agree with you The way that dad worked And, and the way that hierarchy worked That's what's not in Oliver Stone It's not as simple as yeah. This poor guy is really good And he is going to show you the way And this rich guy is really, really evil The one thing I will say that Oliver Stone achieves That I think is really interesting This movie has one of the weirdest relationships To the idea of aesthetic beauty <laughs> I have no clue what the hell is going on in this movie. So that Michael Douglas is sort of, you know, he's whipping up paintings and he's a great collector and he seems to and appreciate he's, art he's for he's art's dating, sake. Uh, and what, the, what does that mean? Sean
0: Young and, and, and Kim... No, he's married it, to Darryl Sean Hannah?
1: Young, but he's dating Daryl Hannah. Yeah. And there's this interesting kind of comparison of, 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 of beauty and, and, and the maternal sort of instincts of the, of the Sean Young mm. mother. It, it's, but on the idea of aesthetic beauty, that he appreciates art... I find totally fascinating. So on the one hand, he Oliver Stone seems to want to divest him of anything that's that's moral or decent or good. But then the guy is given this amazing facility to appreciate good art. And I, I sort of wonder, But what, I mean, what rich people, this? they you yeah, know but that's, they
0: collect a lot of art. Like that's, yeah, you know, yeah they, that's a tale as old well as... Like,
1: yeah, but he's that, not just collecting. He's actually telling people that this, you know, uh, this is beautiful. Well, Daryl says he's got one of the best He's eyes. got one of I yeah. eyes but but that's, know, right? that's like, that's my so
0: favorite, one of my favorite films is Train, The Train by oh, John yeah, the train's amazing. I just that, watched that literally a month ago. The speech given by the yep. Nazi at the end to Burt yep. Lancaster about uh, they're, they're trying to steal all the art out of France in yep. the last days of the war, the Nazis, and he says, you're an idiot with a gun. You don't understand what this art is. Yep. Just give it to us because yep. we know what mm. it means. And it's kind of true. And Bert Lancaster's mm. response, I won't tell you because you should watch the film. Yeah, is amazing. No, no, I, his response. What well, his, his s- response is to that is—it's also the, the
1: film's position on what the place of art is historically mm. is intriguing. I'm yeah. I'm surprised there hasn't been way more work on this that's in a, the that's annals of an art history. Check that—it's from the 60s. Everyone, check it yeah. out. Yeah. Clearly, Oliver Stone is trying to make a connection between capitalism and its separation of value from money and an appreciation of art from a raging capitalist. I just don't know that it's a coherent position.
0: But and, he says a couple of important yeah. things.
1: He says a couple right, of important sure. things. Like for example, you got the Martin Sheen character, he has a, a son, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen has moved forward in the world. What all parents want, a chance mm. at a better life. You don't have to be the mechanic. The You can, you, you can make more money, you can be mm. more important. Then look at Michael Douglas's child, little Rudy, in this movie. What Michael Douglas says, um, what, I can't remember what he says, but you know, the other day this kid did something at that age. He's already doing that. I couldn't do that till I was like mm-hmm. eight or ten. So it's the so same. So this kind of humanizing side, it's the, right? And it's not, but it's not. I see. I don't see it as humanizing. I see it as Oliver Stone saying, "This is what these people do. Their wealth, their power. What happens is it's passed on generationally, yeah. and, and mm. they control." Generations this way Like the depiction of Rudy Is a really fascinating Yeah but I remember one. What he says about Rudy Is is, is really um, Banal It's kind of like What any parent Would you say yeah, about he loves what, like Rudy. what I'd say about Byron See he loves Rudy But what you know, in an Oliver Stone movie that's trying to ram a message down your throat, you'd, you'd, you'd think you would say, "Hey, Rudy just opened his first bank account and he's already getting ten percent interest." No, but I but think the movie doesn't do that. No, but that. Oliver Stone's comedy is more subtle than that. I think. Mm. I think it's saying Not that much we love so our <laughs> children, we love our kids. Rudy's a genius, um, yeah. and he's going to be the yeah. next Gordon Gecko. He'll be Rudy Gecko.
0: <laughs> Take two. 26 years later and director Martin Scorsese hot off his Oscar win for the sweet Parisian love letter to film Hugo returns to what he does best, dropping the F-bomb and flaunting rambunctious displays of masculinity. This time his subject was Wall Street and a real life character by the name of Jordan Belford. There is no nobility in poverty, I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man And
1: I choose Rich every fucking time.
0: The resulting film, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, and a breakout performance by Margot Robbie, was a dark, black comedy and a box office smash hit, which turned out to be Scorsese's biggest film. Okay, Bruce, you've said a lot about uh, Stone here. You've you've put the boot in. A lot of us around the table feel like it's been unfair. (laughs) And too harsh. Tell us about Wolf of Wall Street. What's your take on, on this film? That conversation about Wall Street
1: is great as a pairing with Wolf of Wall Street because everything that we just talked about, I think, is, is is a framework for everything I'm thinking about Wolf of Wall Street. I want to frame it in terms of, I went to Dandy Newtown, which is, uh, for those of you who know from Sydney, is this kind of art house cinema, and then they had to go a bit mainstream to keep up with um, some of the commercial venues. So I went with a bunch of friends. We call ourselves a movie group. We've known each other for many, many years. We go to the <laughs> movies. And it was my idea to go see Wolf of Wall Street. And like a lot of people... At the start of the year, you take note of movies that are coming out that you are desperate to see and you're just so excited. Wolf of Wall Street was probably at the top for me. I loved Scorsese. I'd spent a lot of time researching Scorsese for my PhD. So we go to the movies and we're watching it and um, the movie starts and it's very confronting from literally the first scene. Leo snorting cocaine off a naked woman. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wealth. There's excess, there's frivolity, there's a lot of abuse. And so watch the movie, the movie ends. Um, and I remember uh, at the end of the movie, I thought I couldn't remember laughing so much at a movie in so many years. I just had the most amazing time watching it. So we all go outside, and it becomes apparent to me Everybody hated this movie, <laughs> and everybody's
0: railing on this movie. Yes, okay.
1: So, the <laughs> no. Can I tell you, I'm with yeah. them. Yeah.
0: My first watch. Yeah. Was at the premiere at Fox in Sydney.
1: Well, it was a really uh, this
0: this movie polarized yeah. people. Yeah. It was huge in the media. I, I amongst hated. Critics, I was so angry. Audiences. I was like, "What is Scorsese doing? Yep. Get out!" of Especially this. Scorsese. Oh. That
1: it meant, uh, you know, that meant means a lot to us, right? Mm. Uh, you know, I I had sort of always looked to Scorsese films as the highest. That this art form could achieve, I couldn't and figure it out. I, for when me, you, when you, I was confused. Out. I was confused because what? It's three hours long, isn't it? It's about three hours. It's right? just just under just three. under three hours. Just yeah. under
0: three hours too long. <laughs> so what I
1: so what I couldn't understand was this is like. But after I watched the movie, this is the kind of, kind of conversation I was having. But Scorsese made long movies. Like for example, I'm one of those people. I sat through The Irishman start to finish uh, at home on Netflix. And I love almost every scene in that movie. I was captivated by it. Nah. What I couldn't understand about <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street was, I couldn't understand what Scorsese was trying to do. I think I underst- mm. I think I have an idea now. I'll, I'll, I'll sort yeah. of represent that as we go along. But for me. Um, it, I was actually a bit angry as well after yeah. coming out of War for the No, and I and I think this was the subtext of the conversation that we all had after this movie, after we'd seen it, because people were sort of saying things like. Firstly, people were angry, mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting because I wasn't angry. I was happy. I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was in this position of ecstasy. You're throwing
0: bags of cocaine in their face. <laughs> Tell them to STFU. So
1: I'm. I'm. Th- I'm mm. I'm wanting to talk to people mm. about how awesome this experience has been. <laughs> but I got no one to talk to, including Rebecca, my own wife. Yep. She's not she clearly is not on that same wavelength, right? <laughs> so people No no no, I don't mean <laughs> as a human being. I'm no, talking but about as in relation to this group, movie the, as the rest of the group. But wait, so, do you know why they're angry? Yes. So okay. this was the subtext of the discussion. People were saying why would I want to spend three hours with these awful, horrendous people? Yeah. that was number one. So this, like, what's how is this entertaining? Number two was they thought the film though, and this was the more interesting thing. The film was immoral. Yeah, it. You know, there was no moral fabric to this at all. For sure. That I. That why would I watch something if there was nothing inherently good about it? Right, so I thought so. That was interesting. The other thing was attached to this idea of immorality. They considered the film was immature. It was the kind of adolescent vehicle, yeah. almost like Porky's by a, by a great auteur. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Great author's Porkies. People, I don't know if people know Porkies from the early '80s. A really mm. important film. But there are um, scenes with Jonah Hill where it's getting close to Porkies. No, but 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 uh, no, you're absolutely right. And mm-hmm. this is what people were saying: Why am I watching this? Right? Yeah. That scene where he's at the party, mm. and he's, uh, he, I think he's taking the Quaaludes, yep. and he sees Margot Robbie and he's masturbating, and the camera shows him with his penis out. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, my friends were thinking. What are we doing here? What is this? Yeah. Like, why, we, why is Bruce recommended we go see this movie? <laughs> okay.
0: Well, you're depraved. <laughs>
1: hmm. So, the other thing was the film was disgusting. Yeah. So, from an aesthetic point of view,
0: it was a disgusting film, right? So, wait, I. Wait, wait. Disgusting, not like Pasolini disgusting, but more like. No, 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 like, um, not, not,
1: no. And in fact, that's a really. Grotesque good point.
0: or over the top or. Over,
1: I think disgusting, bereft of moral value and the rest of a moral line in the sand. I think it's seductively
0: gross. Like it's the kind of gross you want to stare at because it's sort of (laughs) sexy. I don't know if I I agree with
1: the disgusting part. Yeah. What I think people are reacting, I mean, I've met some of the people in your movie group. Yeah. Well, think about it. There were lots of arguments made that the movie was, you know, anti-women. There was a, yeah. like, uh, violence against Actually, women. Actually, I should say that was a critical point that was raised. So, so that this was such a misogynistic film. Yeah, but, but so it's also that, like yeah. a
0: celebration of misogyny. It's so over the top. See,
1: uh, but I don't... Okay, so It's so
0: disgusting for me. Is, Can I just finish not my... It's adequate, w- you know? Yeah, so
1: okay. this is my... So Okay, so obviously <laughs> in that company that night, I wasn't saying what I thought of the movie because yeah. that wouldn't have been really appropriate. But this is what I'll say. The Ponce where that was deeply problematic, it showed bad people doing very bad things. It was troubling. It was immoral. It raised, you know, a whole bunch of questions around why we watch these sorts of movies. All of that stuff was
0: precisely why I love the movie so much.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not being, f- I'm not trying to be but glib you are, or facetious uh, You're not, you're not glib,
0: but you are an academic, a super academic professor. No, no and but you're you're operating on a, a different level no, when Craig, consuming I, I films, right? I don't look at any art in that way. Yeah. Art
1: is something that people should be passionate and committed to. Yeah. So I don't I hate talking to people who say hey I don't know enough about that like you tell me what to think. Mm. Not and, and I can guarantee these people in my movie group they are astute they're discerning people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that. It's so so okay my my sense of what I felt about the movie was I thought it was the most powerful and 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 urgent rejection. Of what it becomes so safe about American movies and about Hollywood, and like so saccharine and so easy to digest, right? So that's the first thing. Obviously, then we're not gonna give it the Oscar. My take on why I think the film is so important and why I think its legacy is only gonna be assured and, 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 and will increase I am so, and I've talked to Herschel extensively about this, I'm so sick of art having to be safe. Mm-hmm. That is just, that drives me nuts, right? I hate art that has to be reassuring. Um, In the worst case scenario, I really hate art because we seem to think art has this responsibility to make um, perfect, unproblematic sense. And that's where I think Wolf of Wall Street was the first time, maybe for me, since Warner Brothers greenlit Eyes Wide Shut, which must have been 14 years before with Kubrick doing Eyes Wide Shut. It was the first time I thought a major studio had taken on a movie. And had not required it to toe an ideological line, which is to say, in the end, we're going to reassure you that everything's okay and it makes sense and you'll be fine. And I really love that. Like, so the so my t- is, the other <laughs> thing is, it's 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 revealing about the way capitalism and excess has changed from Oliver Stone's day. Like, man, th- don't you reckon watching that movie just dates Wall Street? Wall Street. No, see, like I don't I don't see that at all. I I, I see Scorsese's movie as putting together. Of what I consider to be unbelievably entertaining sequences <laughs> So there are things in that where, yeah, I agree Probably some of the funniest things I've ever yeah. seen I put it up with some of the, seriously, David Brent's dance in, 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 the in season 2 of The Office That's what I put it up <laughs> but there actually, with. You, But you, you, I, I agree, there's so much funny stuff, right? But I can't think of a single funny scene in the movie That isn't also saying to you, hang on, but should you be laughing about this? I remember when the, 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 the Quaaludes hit him when he's on the phone mm. to his lawyer and um, how he uh, goes through his various phases of trying mm-hmm. to get his car and he says, at that point, the cerebral palsy phase hit. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're sitting in a cinema, a packed cinema, you don't know how you're supposed to feel about that line. But the film is very aware that making it problematic for you to be in that space. I'm convinced. I don't think it's an immoral line. I think the film is saying this is a really complicated relationship we have here between you watching the movie and what this movie is. And that's, you know, we should have more of that in Hollywood. But is there is there <laughs> the glorification of this excess? Is that what Scorsese yeah, is doing? A, I think that's, that's a great my question. Prob- I that, think that that's an important question. Isn't that really what we're discussing here? Where's the moral basis of this at all? Is is there anyone so you got um expect a detective Denim uh, Denim Denim The, the FBI agent so, I think Kyle Chandler Chandler's unbelievable in this movie mm. The scene on the boat is one of my favorite scenes in movies mm.
0: in a long, but long time But that's because
1: it's the first moment where it's like that classical barometer kicks in mm-hmm. We understand, okay, you're judging We need someone to it's judge you It's like him. the audience
0: is so, going, oh, thank God, someone's stopping this And
1: you know what? That's why it's so genius Because if you think about it, when does that come into the movie? It must be more than an hour in, more, way more I than an hour. Like nearly
0: two hours in yeah. maybe,
1: right? I think there's, there's, so a, there's, a, there's no there's barometer a, before he shows up. There's an elephant in the room. And, you know, this is what I keep saying. I said this to, to both of you before. I still can't understand why Jordan Belfort has the cameo at the end because for me, that's oh. the ultimate
0: exoneration yeah. of what
1: he's done. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I so can't I I can. I can I can't buy into this
0: that. We'll come into that. Let's come back to that and put a pin in that. <laughs> I think that when I watched it, I felt like this is – you're only celebrating it. And the people in my cinema were the kind of people who, apart from the industry people, they're just people hooting and hollering like it's fun. Like, it's a party atmosphere, and it's that kind of thing that, where So that was in the screening you were in? In the screening, audience, which was a massive cinema at Fox, yeah. and it was the premiere because Leo was there and stuff. So yeah. I guess maybe there's an element of the, everyone's being supportive of the star yep. who's yep. there and is joining in with that and hoping that he's Leo's leading the change <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, trust me, he would have been outside not having to be there, <laughs> having a drink or something. But it just felt like the way that Borat has audiences who don't understand... That it's a critique on America, but rather think it's a critique on weed Eastern European countries. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It's like I just in that cinema felt like, oh man, I'm going to see uh, this being uh, mirrored by nut jobs—the <laughs> same people who went greed is good. Oh yeah, greed is good. Brilliant. Well done.
1: Yeah, but as an scene. anecdote, then. So I was just reading up on this stuff. As an anecdote, there's like a there's a group, like a, a coalition or um, an interest group. Which represents the the rights of of little people right yeah and they said that because of the depiction of that you know the the throwing 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 around the the target yeah they said there was this overwhelming awful result to their lives of Mm -hmm. that happening it can't just be fun depiction in that but we also happen to be in an environment where we're never the butt of the joke and i think what scorsese is is portraying all this laughter and all this fun and games. But who represents the people who are... They're at the butt of the joke. People are getting disadvantaged by this. And
0: the problem is, we're about to get into a conversation about responsibility of filmmakers. And Bruce, Mm. I agree... If you make something, you shouldn't – you know, you don't have to be resp- – you can't go around saying, oh, everyone, please understand this the proper way. Mm. Here's how you should read it. Like the way the Joker film came out and everyone yep. was like, oh, there's going to yeah, be yeah. shootings <laughs> because of this one. But, I mean,
1: you're right. That, but uh, Herschel's <laughs> point is a good one that he just made because if you think about the way the Joker was 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 reacted to and then used in people's personal discourses and online mm. – Well, The Matrix. It's quite the scary, thing, the the Matrix, Columbine. Yeah, and Dark Knight Rises. Like, yeah. it, it's quite scary. Um, It does get into that whole space I actually have written here in my notes When my friends were saying things like But it's just a film about bad people doing bad things And that it's, you know, in that sense It's an immoral film I do think that one of the things We have to consider A huge philosophical question In the history of aesthetics Which is, can a work of art have morality? And do we want to attribute morality To a work of art? Hang on, so what are you saying about Like, triumph of the will, right? So there's a fantastic example. So Triumph of the Will uh, is... (laughs) Which, of course, we all love here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, hey, I used to
1: teach Triumph of the Will in documentary class. I don't know that I would do it now. Did you get any
0: kids... Getting you know like why know. are we learning it? No, well, no, no, no.
1: Well, but we would teach it in the context of propaganda and documentary.
0: For anyone doesn't know, Triumph of the Will but is oh the, yeah, the, the But that's style, the point, though, uh, isn't it? Nazi is it The Nazi, the Nuremberg rallies,
1: 1933. Is it, isn't it, doesn't it say something that you have to teach it from that perspective? You can't go. Let's just have a look at every shot. Let's enjoy it for what it is. You have no, to teach it from see, the perspective. But see that. But that's what's what's so interesting about a movie like Triumph of the Will. It is actually regarded as a work of beauty. So one of the the kind of dominant um, uh, theoretical responses to that question does a does a does a film or does a work of art have a morality? Susan Sontag, who wrote about *Triumph of the Will*, said that movie has a fascist aesthetic, and many mm-hmm. people pick that up decades later and would say, like, if you watch *Star
0: Wars*, it has a fascist aesthetic. TikTok as well, <laughs> but TikTok as a platform. Yeah, the platform has a uh, a thing that says. Um, for the people selecting the feed, the algorithm, yeah. you look for good-looking people who look like they're not in distress. Right,
1: so this cult of beauty, the yeah, cult yeah, of yeah. They, body, they, they manufacture so the aesthetic and into the algorithm. The, but the challenge becomes, uh, if we start saying that a work of art has to be moral in some sense, I don't know how you, one, how you even define it, right? And two, how, once you define it, what are we going to then police it? And I think that's when it becomes really problematic. So a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, I totally take your point, Oshul. People will watch it and be offended. People will watch it and be hurt. I could say that I could name right now 100 movies that that would happen with. Well, And I could pick classes of in people. In point to
0: right. go along with your point. I good? mean, what
1: about you know patriarchal films that dominate Hollywood across
0: 50 years? Well, yeah, you know. they need to be thrown out. <laughs> 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 but I mean, obviously we're not going to throw those out, right? Well, here's the thing. 1932, Todd mm. Browning's follow-up to Dracula was yeah. Freaks. Freaks, yeah. Right? Now, it was banned at the time. Mm. It wasn't banned because, and for those who don't know, Freaks in the carnival sense in that literally, it's the story set in a carnival, a travelling carnival, about a, a bunch of people who are not uh, typical uh, body-conforming you know, people. They're mm. different types of people. Uh, and... <laughs> They're called freaks in the show and they're treated as such and, and they're scary and, and you know, and, and but at some point it shows that the, the there is a community and that the community supports each other. That's what, you know, happens in the film. But it was banned originally, not because it was offensive. It was banned because the, the public shouldn't have to see these images yeah. of horrible people. Yeah. Like, that's the opposite. That would be like, if I told kids now that was banned, they'd go, yeah, because it's exploiting people. It's like, no, it was the opposite. It was trying to protect the public from seeing something so horrible. Yeah, which is like, how are we to say in the future that this isn't going to be the best document of what greed Mm -hmm. was like?
1: I mean, I I think Mm. that if we try to separate or exclude political input from art, I always think that's artificial. No, no, but I don't want to exclude political input. All I'm saying is I don't think a work can have a responsibility to conform to a predetermined, like, moral or ethical position. I think we read stuff into it and that that is, you know, that's related to its history with social and political context. All right. So,
0: yeah. I'd like to just say, well, my point of view of this film is when I first saw it, I hated it, and I was on the same team as your friends. I was like, this is excess. It's yeah. wrong. It's rotten. <laughs> it's a rotten it's film. Rotten. Jordan <laughs> It's Belford's getting worse in it. and worse. It's <laughs> excess. It's, it's wrong. Filth it's filthy. I'd like, filth to, I'd like to add that uh, apart from Belford being in it, because I attended that premiere, I yeah. now get emails from Jordan Belford. <laughs> I love that That's my favorite part of the whole <laughs> is I get emails like, Craig, I'm going to be candid with you. My business – Oh, me. Craig's reading this. I'm so reading this Craig. from – yeah. Uh, my business have been <laughs> – built me houses on some of the best beaches and lakes in the world. When you build a house, you don't just dump the bricks on the lawn and start building, Right. You have a plan, you have a blueprint, and then it just goes on. I get these once a week. I can't, I can't he sent them from different emails. This dog, Jordan Belford, who has now developed a massive you know, mailing list from the success of that film. The other thing about the making of this film, which makes sort of pollutes the idea, if you go to Netflix and watch Dirty Money, the documentary series, there's mm. an episode about. The Malaysian Prime Minister, who who stole billions of dollars from his people, and started to filter it into various shell companies. One of which became an investment firm that invested hundreds, of millions of dollars into The Wolf of Wall Street. Spent a, a hundred million dollar, I think, yeah. into that. I know red that's red been that's a
1: sort of checkered history of Wolf of Wall Street as a production. Yeah, and like I it's mean, but but it makes it all the more. Kind of perfect for the contemporary moment where <laughs> there is. I, I'm not, but I I mean, I also want to say I'm therefore not seeing the film as a moral film. Yeah. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's. Hang on, it's you're not fraught. saying the morals are oh, good. Oh, I'm yeah. saying aesthetically, I think it's like the, maybe the best American film of this, like, of the 20th, 21st wow. century, okay. right? I'm saying as a, as, if we're talking about a moral more, ethical.
0: More so than Jackass 3D. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm talking If we're talking about it from a moral point of view, I'm not suggesting this points the way to being a good moral citizen in, in 2013. Mm-hmm. But what it does point the way clearly to is how do we start to make sense of a world that we currently live in? Mm-hmm. I When I watch Wolf of Wall Street, I know it's not a film about political process, but it's about the relationship between wealth and power. And I, I, think the film is incredibly incisive and astute about where things were evolving on Wall Street. And I think that's what Oliver Stone, you know, he's filming so much a time of the '80s. And Scorsese, through Belfort, embraces this total chaos, well, total he, value, valuelessness. But, but Scorsese is not in any way trying to reverse that trend. He's not trying to say, well, this is what's happening. I have a look at these people, and it's shocking and it needs to be undone or it needs to be Mm. controlled. Scorsese doesn't have, in my opinion, doesn't have Mm. any foot in that space whatsoever. And that, to me, is concerning. Definitely not in a didactic sense. I don't think he's trying to instruct anything at all. Here's my thing, right? I believe
0: after watching it recently for this podcast, I came around to the idea that it's a carnival film, that it Mm. it uses the stuff that I had to learn about (laughs) at uni about carnival and the carnival aesthetic in that it is... Purely subversive. It's it's like a it's a, a pressure release for the people to go. Yeah, we're being screwed over, and and we're going to subvert everything. Yep. And this film feels like the whole film is a joyous subversion of what you think. You know, yeah. Especially me, what I go morally, that's all wrong. Yeah. And so the, the, this latest viewing of mine, I was like, oh. I think I get it now. I think you're saying yeah. let's have fun, and this is a work. Yeah, of uh, I agree, I agree with that. Let's play around it's, and let's party. Let's it's just nuts. let's I love have that fun. Idea of
1: let's party. It's like it's a movie as a party. Yeah, you know, because I also think I like how you say it's a just sort of joyous experience. Because one of the things that I think uh, has been really unfortunate in in in, in heaps of recent cinema. We think so much about movies from the point of view of our minds. Mm. We like intellectualize everything. Everything's cognition and intellectual and interpret interpretive processes. What if you watch a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, and you kind of give yourself over to a kind of ecstatic experience of it? Yeah. You know, I mean, is that possible? I, I, you know, is there? I mean, a w- not not if you bring, not if you bring a kind of normative aspect to it. Yeah. Because what what you're gonna say? is that, well, that's just disgusting. It might mm. all be fun and games if you're in a fortunate enough position to enjoy the fun and games. Mm. If you're the little person getting thrown at the target, and in reality, if you're living a life of that kind of, of, of experience, then it's not just fun and games. And, and, I, and I suppose where I have, have an issue with this in putting Buffett at the end of the film, Scorsese never never... Represents any other voice but the voice of. You mean from a from a biographical point of view, no one else enters the movie to speak for the actual people. And even even um, Detective or you know um, the police denim or. He's a failure, really. So Scorsese points out clearly that he's Mm. catching the bus or the train. They catch him, but he doesn't lose. Exactly, because so he he continues it's like it's it's cyclical, right? But it's yeah. not Oliver Stone's comment, or it's not even approaching Oliver Stone's comment, where um, these people are fallible and they're going to be brought down eventually, and they and not just that, but they should be brought down. Scorsese, at what's the final word? Sell me this pen. Mm-hmm. It goes on and on. Yeah, but on on, so and that's on. the genius of this movie. The very last moment is, can you sell me this pen? Cut to black. And that's just, I just thought that was amazing. We talk about um, income distribution and stuff like that and and the horrors of what happened in the global financial crisis, which is just another extension of the Depression from way way back. I guess what I would say to Scorsese is, is that completely separate, is completely divorced from a film that's called The Wolf of Wall Street? Is is he interested in evaluating that behavior? And its effects, its consequences I think it for is, people, but not in a literal didactic sense. And when I was rewatching this movie for the podcast, I thought back on movies like um, Mean Streets and Taxi mm-hmm. Driver. Right? You think about Taxi Driver. The protagonist there is racist. Um, he's really violent and aggressive. And at the end of the movie, through really no real um, prior moral. Sort of certitude, he ends up massacring a bunch of people in a hotel and saving Iris. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends on that glorious letter, mm. which is this incredibly kind of ambiguous, troubling ending to the movie. You know, is this did this guy accomplish anything, or is he really the avenging angel? And I believe there's a genuine, there's a real ambivalence from Scorsese toward Travis. I I see that as being this kind of moral grayness that has been central to Scorsese's career. But I, I, I empathize with Travis. I know what it's like to be an outsider, not to mm. that extent, but where's, where's anyone's connection mm. to what he's depicting in Wolf of Wall Street? Travis is a dysfunctional person, a Vietnam veteran returning, who cannot fit in anywhere. He tries uh, to start up a relationship, and a person who gives him, Sybil Shepherd gives him a tremendous chance, and it shows how sad, his lack of understanding of social norms are. Mm. There is a, an ideological, political aspect to that film that talks about behaviour, that talks about what is socially valuable, socially important. Wolf of Wall Street, I. Mm-hmm. For me, well, I don't know. Well, I think about. if.
0: When I think of carnival films, I, I think of like Dawn of the Dead, right? Mm. That's a carnival film. It's very clearly, hey, consumerism, hey, you know, follow the leader, be be a sheep. And, and <laughs> I sound like a, I'm taking the red pill here. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very clearly a subversive theme, a yeah, yeah. metaphor, right? So then you look at this film, everyone's nuts. And when I was writing the intro to this, I was trying to, I was using the word masculinity or, or misogyny. Mm. Um, and I was thinking, hang on if I wrote a film and I used the word masculinity and and that Scorsese showing off masculinity, I would expect to see something like Conan the Barbarian. You know, masculinity or Mm. an 80s action film, Mm. Predator. This is not masculine. This is pathetic men dressed in suits... Who are you know lamb busted by their oh, parents? Guess, that's what. No, but I, isn't I, that,
1: that a judgment? That, though? pathetic men. What makes no, but them but pathetic? they, they are, they but are but pathetic. Except then they movie, become that's
0: rich. That's That's the subversion. That's the carnival. It's like these pathetic men that uh, are now uh, are able to be m- masculine or be toxically misogynist. But that's the subversion. Is that look at these nuts who are normal blokes pathetic, from the suburbs?
1: Right. So I. So Jordan played by Leo. Look, that's also a casting
0: But, thing. I mean, even Raging okay. Bull. Who, mm. Joe LaMotta, I don't know. Not the best boxer ever. He's not famous. No mm. one ever talks about him outside <laughs> that movie. Yeah. Like, he's a pathetic dude who stands yeah. and talks to himself in the mirror talking thinking he's good. Like, that's another <laughs> example of, of Scorsese saying, yeah, these men are kind of pathetic and yeah. this is all a fantasy well, And, and that's what I'm
1: saying about the continuity of this theme in Scorsese's career. That if you go from Taxi Driver to Raging Bull, to even, you know, I was watching A Color of Money recently, right? Which I think is just <laughs> such a, a, an underrated film. Yeah. But this idea of that people, so I, I don't at all see Jordan Belfort as played by Leo as something that Scorsese is holding up for us to aspire to. I think these are pathetic people. Because if you think about it, these are the outsiders
0: who grew up in Queens, Mm. right These are the guys who want to get to Manhattan and show off. But this is very similar to the uh, what you learn, I guess in a much more didactic way in the social network. We see Zuckerberg go from being rejected to developing an app that's to rate women on campus you know and mm. work out who's the prettiest to then turn it into something that he's going to make money and then at the end of the film he's a big loser still he's still a loser mm. but it's like a common thread. Screw all of those men. They they always become rich and they always get rejected, and they're the outsiders. And then when they become rich, they become even shittier men, and they they pay <laughs> see, for I'm, women to I'm, do stuff that they don't yeah. want. You know, that not no a woman sympathetic would
1: do to like to the argument that these are pathetic men, because can you truly be pathetic if you have all the power and you hold all the aces in society? How can you? But be pathetic? I don't think they have all the power though. They have the money. They've got all the, no, they've they've got all the power. No, but I think the film. Um, I think as spectators, and this is in fact this was revealed by all those those friends of the, all of us watching the movie. They thought they were pathetic. That was literally the line. These are just pathetic men. Why am I watching this? They just didn't find it entertaining. I thought they were pathetic. I just found it unbelievably entertaining and really interesting as a depiction of young men in kind of consumerist America. Yeah, so I find them pathetic, but I also find it a little bit offensive that these people hold all the aces and they rise to the top of all society and they orchestrate really the lives of everyone else including agent Denham, when he says you you know you're gonna go by way of the train and on the train Mm. that's really a sad scene for me Mm. so pathetic yes by our standards but just like leo says like you want some lobster look at these girls over here what he's basically saying is you're just calling us pathetic because you can't have what I have. Yeah, but don't you... So that makes you pathetic. But don't you think there's a, there's a critique in that? Even when, when Leo says to Agent Denham, I'm going to go back and eat my lobster, um, you know, and caviar. I think there's a... Clearly, we're not supposed to align ourselves with the vacuousness of that statement. Yeah, but then Denham's on the train all by himself yeah, with a lonely the, couple and... But, you with, know, but, but with, your, with a sense of purpose intact. And I do think that distinction exists in the movie. Then the, the last kind of card I can play is, but that's the truth of contemporary society. Like, there's a truth in Wolf of Wall Street that Oliver Stone's film simply no longer predicts. I mean, I wouldn't call it path- pathetic, then. I would say it's reprehensible. I would say it's... it's.
0: I still well, feel it's the,
1: the life-imitating art thing. Leo DiCaprio was given... As part of this whole f- weird financial relationship that was on the back of this film or funding this film, he was given with Marlon. he was the given. Leisure. He was yeah. given Marlon Brando's Oscar for On the Waterfront as a gift, yeah. right? That's like um, <laughs> after the investigation, mm. he was forced to hand this gift back. Mm. Now, who's just handing out these things? I mean, so so we're saying that Oliver of a I'm not all of a sudden, but Marlon says he's having fun with this film, and um. I have to admit, I thought it was one of the most hilarious, well acted mm. films, yeah. most. Brilliant, I, I guess, mean, that Leo didn't win the Oscar. So, Frankly, so I mean, I think that's amazing. Me. I love yeah. that aspect of it. But look at what's going on in the background. We've got dirty money. We've got someone handing Marlon Brando's Oscar to DiCaprio as a gift at a, mm. at, at a swanky dinner after oh, well, investigation.
0: Was a, there was a $3 million party held in, <laughs> and they paid JLo to attend.
1: And DiCaprio's got to give this back. So, at some point, don't we have to say, but hang on, you're making a film that, celib- that or certainly depicts, I don't know, maybe I can't say celebrates that lifestyle, but it certainly depicts that lifestyle, but that's how you got your film funded. Mm. Like, With that lifestyle. With that lifestyle. That's, <laughs> but <laughs> that can't be right. But, I, but why can't we accept that, the, the complexity of what a work of art is? And I guess my position would be from a, philosoph- from a philosophical perspective, the simplest abstract work. Has layers of historical and political context. All mm. I'm saying is that that's what's embedded in Wolf of Wall Street. What I love about it is it's not afraid of the, co- the, the confronting nature of it. That's what I think is so brilliant about it. You're right, it's really seductive. You watch it and you kind of, you know, that's you, a great word. It's very it's seductive. It's very seductive. seductive. You know, no, it's we seductive. Agree look, I've with seen that. it heaps of times. Um,
0: you, you watch it nightly, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, look, as, as, as a kind of as a thing that I, that I occasionally do when I've got some time, I'll, I will watch the Matthew McConaughey scene, <laughs> which I do believe is one of the best written and
0: performed scenes in yeah. maybe, you know, 50 years.
1: Mise en scène. All
0: right, now it's time for Miss en scène, where we focus in on one scene from the film and extrapolate all of the themes and everything that the film is trying to say. Herschel, you're up first with Wall Street.
1: Okay, my, my scene is probably a scene that will surprise um, our listeners out there because I can pick from so many. Greedy is good. The pitch he makes to the to the shareholders. The scene I'm going to pick is a more intimate scene, and I think it captures Wall Street more effectively than if I was going to go something more famous or bigger in scope. It's where Gordon Gekko and Charlie Sheen um, make the pitch to Martin Sheen, the solution to the company's woes. I'm, I'm going to portray this or represent this as all of a sudden capturing the, the importance of family in building what is right, in building in what is good. It's, it's almost a throwback for me, really, to the American dream, really. Mm. It's getting those old values back on the table again. So I'm going to say about a couple of things. And can I just add, I think a great point is father-son yeah, exactly. versus the father. Um, like in Freud, there's the, the sort of the positive father figure mm. and the dark father figure and that is such a massively entrenched narrative in american literature and, and film. Well, so I'm going to set it up really quickly. It's just really Gordon Gekko handing the reins over to Charlie Sheen who then makes the pitch. So really he's the voice for Gordon Gekko. Charlie Sheen at this point has made the complete transition into a Wall Street financier who lacks the morality that we expect that his parents put into him as he was growing up working the weekends at the at the at the airplane garage. What I love about the scene is not so much about the pitch. I don't think that's important. We already know what the what the truth of what Oliver Stone is trying to say. We already know what his moral tale is. What I love about it is the way he depicts the transition between the father and the son and the gecko, the other father figure at this point, the professional father figure. I want to pick on a particular scene there's the absurdity of Martin Sheen putting his cup through um, the abstract coffee table, and then Daryl Hannah saying, It's okay, that happens all the time. So I love that comment on the scene. From there, Charlie Sheen makes the pitch. And I guess I want to bookend the scene with a couple of things. The first thing is Martin Sheen sits back and he chuckles, and then he claps and he says, um, the rich have been doing this to the poor since the beginning of time. I love that line because it's Oliver Stone really wearing his heart on his sleeve and he's not, he's not afraid or shy to say what he truly thinks. Now, my favorite part of the scene is when Martin Sheen leaves the room. He says, thank you, I'll see myself out. Charlie Sheen runs our team. They come to the elevator. It's in a penthouse. It's a private elevator. Now, the doors open. Martin Sheen walks in and we've got a very close shot right behind, point of view shot, behind Martin Sheen, we follow him into the elevator. But what's so clever about it is that Charlie Sheen has walked in as well, but we never got that perspective. We never saw that Charlie Sheen was going to come in. For me, um, having not seen this film for a while before in prep for this, I was again jolted by that, that camera shot. And what then follows is a truly wonderfully family-driven, personal moment. I think this is actually Martin Sheen, in so many arguments he's had with a young Charlie Sheen as he's growing up, all the trouble that Charlie Sheen got into, and there's so much truth and 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 sadness in it. So for me, that's that's the scene that I think represents Wall Street best. And I think that's a really great reading of how the movie goes from being about money to suddenly understanding that Money is related to huge histories as well. So it's about family as well, and it's about fathers and children. And again, look, we're talking about obviously patriarchal histories, right? There are no mothers yeah. here that impact these these young men's lives. So, But I, I agree with you, Asha. What becomes really beautiful there is um, Stone is running this parallel line of not only do you have to understand that money pollutes and corrupts, but you have to understand that your duty is to your father. And um, you know when Charlie Sheen says, um, you've always had the backs of your of your men and he uses a friend mm-hmm. your people and he goes, What about having my back? Yeah. And so that's why I think all of a sudden he's really smart there. He builds a sympathy and an empathy mm. in I guess, the sadness that Charlie Sheen has come to represent. Mm-hmm. Bud Fox is, is now a sad character. He's lost yep. to some extent. It's a really traditional American Oedipal narrative. You know, that, that idea of Oedipal narratives in, mm-hmm. in, you know, like it's a Freud thing, but um, th- this idea that children uh, or, 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 or men, young men, have to figure out their relationship to their fathers. And the idea in, a, well, certainly this is a big part of American uh uh, cinema. Um, ultimately, children have a responsibility to their fathers to learn from them and to continue that that legacy. And Wall Street is a perfect example. Mm. Really, I just think it's a lovely done. scene. I think it's, scene. it's a lovely scene. I love scene. Scene. For, for the, for the, the failings of, that the film, of the film. The camera going between them oh, and you right. don't know that they've gone into the lift. Yeah, that's really smart.
0: Take two. All right, Bruce, tell us about uh, your missing scene. My scene is the.
1: Final montage in Wolf of Wall Street, which is really a kind of reprise for Scorsese of the closing montage of probably half of his movies, (laughs) if not more than (laughs) half of his movies. Mm -hmm. We kind of know this as the Scorsese closing montage where he brings everything together. But it's really always quite experimental. In almost every film, it's really beautiful. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, this is the moment where if you've forgotten that you're watching Scorsese, this is a reminder. This is a Scorsese film. It goes back to Agent Denham interviews Leo on a boat. And they have this discussion about the difference between having so much wealth that you own a yacht and that you can eat lobster and caviar on the yacht. And Agent Denham says, well, you know, I've worn the suit for three days and I catch the subway home. And there's this lovely moment in that closing montage where the camera cuts, the the scene cuts, and it's denim on the subway going home. Oh, and I should say, it's playing um, Mrs. Robinson, the Simon and Garfunkel song. So people who know Scorsese know that a big part of that closing montage is going to be the music. Mm -hmm. It's almost always like involving the Rolling Stones um, or Eric Clapton.
0: This and he's, time he's always dropping the needle and making it like full. Abs- loud
1: oh, this is this is where you know this is what I love about uh, um, the way Scorsese uses sound and music. You know that he's coding the whole scene to 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 the music you're listening to. So it's Simon and Garfunkel, "Mrs. Robinson," which is the ultimate song about the lamenting of what America's lost. Is that right?
0: the song that plays at the end of the Graduate?
1: Yes, but it's a cover by the Lemonheads. Oh yeah. So it's kind of a rockier more contemporary version of the Simon and Garfunkel, because if you played a kind of folky Simon and Garfunkel, I don't think it would work as well. So you play the Lemonheads, and it's like an updating, and it's also playful. It's, it's, it's a cover of this classic folk song, right? Um, anyway, all I wanted to say was there's this really beautiful and I think moving scene, and we all talked a bit before about how we felt about the morality of the film. Well, there's a lovely moment where Denim is sitting there, and he's reading the newspaper. And we're listening to the song and it is a, um, there's, a, there's a, um, an article in, in the paper that says uh, Belfort uh, has been um, indicted and we've seen the collapse of the organization. And you're watching this wondering, what am I supposed to be taking from this moment? Because exactly as Belfort, Leo's, uh, um, uh, Leo's uh, performance in, in the dialogue said, he will still take the subway home. Belfort will remain rich. I read the scene as the moral core of the film. If that's what we were looking for in this movie, this is the moral core. That denim takes the subway home, but there is a nobility in being amongst people taking the subway home after a meaningful and genuine day's work. So this goes back to Oliver Stone. What has Denham done? It's a day of labor... Where he has been connected to his labor That's a very Marxist idea That you have to have If you don't take meaning from your labor Then it's valueless And you will reach the state Of existential alienation right, from, your, from yourself and your labor um, I think what we see is denim going home There's a sadness to it And I agree with that There's a kind of ambivalence You know, This guy has got so much money And we're not going to be able to put him away forever but there's also kind of nobility and there's beauty in the fact that this guy's going home after a day's work. Okay. See, I, 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 I didn't see that. I didn't I'm see
0: that. I'm looking at Herschel's face throughout <laughs> that and it is just well, I not wanna, good. Like, here's the thing, because I'm reading like, wait, wait. Of my notes here on Wall Street. But can I just say, before you say that, I want to ask Bruce, mm. is that your re- – like does anyone else you've ever met <laughs> or read have the same like, – because for me, I just went, mm. oh, that sucks. He's he's do You screwed. mean it's a, it's a tragic life Yeah I just went It's a tragic I didn't take from it He's being well, noble And and I didn't see it as that I, I think it's
1: a really It's an image that we have Deep ambivalence toward mm-hmm. This is a guy that doesn't have money He doesn't have power He grinds away at his job But we can't We can't for example disagree He achieved what he set out to do He got Jordan Belfort but he, right. No but he didn't get Jordan Belfort That's where I quibble But it depends with this, how we look at it it. <laughs> <laughs> it depends Jordan Belfort Never, He got indicted Well his company got dismantled mm-hmm. Now you might say Oh he loved his company so much Well people go to jail For doing far less than Buffett ever did I, that's, I quibble with that the, the line that I want to quote Out of Wall Street There's no nobility in poverty That's a trope that runs Throughout that film Yeah but it's spoken By Gordon Gecko, Right Who we don't trust In terms of a moral perspective Yeah but, but that's the point That Stone's making He's, he's saying that yeah, do a good job, hard day's work, go home on the subway. These guys are still laughing at you. Like, you're still the failure. But why Why are you a failure if these people laugh at you? I, I, like, for example, people can laugh at me. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm catch, I catch the train all the time, right? People, can, people are probably pointing, my students are probably pointing, look at him, he's on the bloody subway. No, I, I, I
0: mean, <laughs> I imagine they're waiting to rob you.
1: <laughs> no, I guess, but I mean, so I don't understand why we think people are a failure or somehow. Bereft of something Because this guy
0: Has said no, Look up at the theater You don't have any money This is storytelling If you want to show mm. That a character's done well They go home They pop a champagne They, they, <laughs> they <laughs> kiss their Wait, kid On you, the forehead You want Wolf
1: of Wall Street To cut from the subway <laughs> To Denim going to his wife Hey No no Cut out the yeah. subway And <laughs> show him yeah. Getting his medal Give your gold what, watch At the no, end no, of no, the day But We used to seeing that In cinema That's what we're used to Hey Denim You did it no, that, but what's brilliant about this is not that <laughs> film, it's not that crude arc that we get in virtually every American movie. But is that crude, though? Is it I crude? think it's crude. I don't you see not I don't think it's crude. What
0: about when Elliot Ness gets, you know, at the end of the... But
1: that's a de- that, that's a carnivalist kind of movie. That's De Palma. Yeah, okay, I don't yes. think that's crude. What is crude is the line out of Wall Street where he goes, we raised the sperm count on the deal. <laughs> that's crude. <laughs> Now, okay, look, we're, we're going to disagree, right? Uh, well, I'm telling you the way that is disagree. shot, there is, there is a nobility in the, 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 tragi- the tragic figure, <laughs> the tragic clown, denim,
0: the tragic, <laughs> the tragic
1: clown. That's fine, unless you're on the street at night without food to eat. Then, then you need somebody advocating for mm. the inequity in society. Mm. And that's where, I, that's where I take issue mm. with, with um, Scorsese. And here's the weird thing about it. If you don't put Belford in this movie at the end to show that this guy is has still got an audience hanging on to his every word by doing something as absolutely ridiculous as some with his pen, which is like mm-hmm. you know, when we were doing door-to-door sales as as yeah. as, as teenagers. <laughs> yeah. And we met a terrible supervisor who was basically Jordan Belford, but unsuccessful to the <laughs> highest level. Um, the point I'm trying to make is, is that at some point, you have to make a political statement. You have to make a judgment. You have to mm. put your ideology on the line, or certainly make it transparent. And that's that's the only issue I've got with Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. I love watching DiCaprio and the craziness. Mm. I think it's remarkable writing, remarkable acting. When the boat is going through the storm and it's basically Moby Dick, and he's and he's going, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die sober. I'm not gonna and he sends Joni Hill out into the storm mm-hmm. to get the Quaaludes. So I, I can't stop that's laughing just picturing the scene. I mean, that's the kind of. <laughs> It goes back to your line, Craig, these carnivalesque moments, and I think uh, I know that certainly I love to do it for students. I show movies sometimes and I, and I want students to try to figure out how they're responding and not be able to predict your response. Yeah, you know and, and I love that. I think it's an unsafe space for mm. cinema should be an unsafe space, like I really believe that. I guess where, where I'm critical of this film, regardless of the fact that I enjoy so much of it so much, <laughs> where I'm critical of it is... In, in, a, in a Trump world, in a post-2009 global financial crisis where lower-income, middle-income people lost all of their superannuation or their retirement funds, and a single person in Wall Street went to jail for a very small period of time, a handful of people got the presidential pardon to keep them out of jail, I just think at some point, you know, you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, well, I need to say something about this. But I, mean, that's, that's but I think this criticism. movie is the saying something no. I guess that's my position I would
0: say my favourite saying something about it would be The Big Short mm. For saying something about it Yeah, I would say this is just a fun film uh, no, but, see, but I, I think, I, I'm not disagreeing with you I think The Big Short is a, a sort of, you know
1: a, a kind of a study and investigation of of, of, of the horrors of all of it um, I think they're a place for both of these movies. I don't think one undermines The Big Short, for example. I, I mean, if you, do you think they are, are opposed ideologically?
0: I think they uh, attempt to address the same thing in two very different yeah. ways. I don't know if it's oppositional. I don't Neither do I. That. No, but
1: I, agree, I would 100% agree with that.
0: But I was saying... Uh,
1: but The Big Short is a moral tale. Of the, yeah. in, in Michael Lewis's book, the wor- one of the worst things about The Big Short at the end of it is that the, is that the main characters, the Steve Carell character all of them the, the the Brad Pitt character and all the associated people, they made a killing out of that transaction. Mm. and the scene where Brad Pitt goes, Don't give each other high fives. You know, you destroy people's lives are getting destroyed here. And you're just gonna make a huge amount of money out of it. So so that's that for mm. me is the difference. But I, this this episode, if nothing else, it's an advertisement to engage with art and film. I mean that's that's what we're talking about. And that it does drive people and their belief systems. Mm. And, and, and that it makes a real difference. But I think we've lost some of that in our culture. We, we think art is this passive thing. Mm. You know, it's not. Art is the most active thing. It's the most engaged part of our lives.
0: I'm all for art, Bruce. I'm, you know, being allowed to say anything and make you feel mm. uncomfortable. I, I think that's fine mm. and fantastic. <laughs> Good for you. And on that note, listen (laughs) to this. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe or follow us in your podcast app so that you'll see our new episodes pop up each week. Join us next time as we take on the bastion of cinematic masculinity, or is it misogyny? (laughs) We'll be comparing the outlier Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service to Daniel Craig's last outing as the super spy, No Time to Die. Take two. Film. First. Film.